preaching at a camp in Indiana this last week, and he's speaking out at a church this morning. So the bad news is you're stuck with me for a week. The good news is he's back next week, so you're okay. But uh, it's great to be able to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, you're going to open up at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, that's where we'll start in just a few moments. And I want to speak to you today um, from a name of God, which will take us to a specific scripture in Genesis and the name of God that I want to speak to you about is Elohim, Elohim. You know, in the Scriptures, God reveals Himself in different ways, and He's attributed different names based on the characteristics He unveils and reveals. And in the first few verses of the book of Genesis, he re- He's revealed to us as Elohim, which means this supreme being, almighty God. I love that. And that's, uh, that's some introduction, Right? that He's introduced as the mighty God, and He creates all things. And I want to talk to you a a little bit about God's creation and how we are are, are creative in nature as well, like Him. I don't know if you've ever tried to be creative. I don't know whether you've ever tried to sing, only to find out you couldn't sing. That's my reality. I once joined a choir. I didn't last long. And uh, they soon figured out I couldn't sing uh, on time or in tune. And uh, so that's a problem if you join a choir, right? Uh, I've, I, I wish I was musical. I've tried to play musical instruments. I don't have uh, the discipline or the rhythm to do that. I've even tried my hand at poetry. Anybody else try their hand at poetry? Any poets in here? Just by myself? I'm a poet. I'm a poet. And um, I remember, uh, it's a little bit of a, a sad context, actually. I remember the first time I wrote a poem. My, my parents had bought me a dog, and I loved this dog. It was called Jake. It was my dog. It went with me everywhere that I went. I took care of it like crazy. And I remember going away for a few weeks on vacation, and we left the dog with my sister. And when we came back, the dog had gone insane, like certified insane. So much so, we had to take it to the doctors. It had to be put down. Now, some of you were laughing. Shame on you laughing at my trauma, my childhood trauma this morning. And we came back and the dog died. I was so distraught. I remember, I remember taking time. I thought, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. I was like 11, 12 years old. I'm going to take all of this trauma that I'm feeling right now and everything that's going on in my soul, and I'm going to pen a Shakespearean poem. That was my aim. And so I poured my heart and soul into this poem, and I, and I thought it was a beautiful poem. I even took the piece of paper I'd written the poem of, and I drove little pictures of me and my dog together all the way around the thing. You feel sorry for me this morning? And so I, I thought, it was so good, I'm going to share it with my loved ones, with my family. I've got three older sisters. Something you need to know about my family is if you really want to know the truth, ask my family. Everybody else will say, yeah, that was really good. My family are going to tell me the truth. And so I sat down with my three sisters and I read this poem that I poured my heart and soul into, tears rolling down my face. After I'd finished the poem, all they did was burst out laughing. And they said, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. It's that day I realized maybe I'm not a poet. I'm not a poet and I do know it. I wrote one other poem in my life, and uh, don't, don't hate me for this, but I wrote a poem to Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock was my childhood crush, and I wrote a poem to her. And uh, that was terrible as well. 
I don't know whether you've ever tried your hand at something creative or maybe artistic to find out that you're not that creative in that arena and in that area. And I want to suggest to you this morning that all of us have a little bit of creativity locked up in us. It might not look like a song sung or a poem written or, or uh, some, an instrument played, but all of us have the ability to be creative. When you look at some of the amazing creations that mankind has come up with, you think about the printing press, you think about the light bulb, you think about the computers, you think about internet, you think about all these amazing things that we've come up with. And yet when we look back at the origin story in the book of Genesis, we find that there's a supreme being, Elohim, God, who has the ability to do far more than what we could ever imagine. And He has creative energy and purposes, and He is our Creator. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 3. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it all began. In the beginning, God got to work. God began to create. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, God, the word that's used to describe God there is Elohim, mighty God, supreme being. That in the beginning, He was, is what the text tells us. It tells us that He is the author of creation. That everything starts and ends with God. That's powerful, right? That, that He is all-powerful and He is transcendent. What an introduction the Scriptures give us into the God that the rest of the Bible begin to explain and explore and articulate to you and to me. In the beginning, He was God all by Himself in the beginning. That before time existed, He was. That, that In fact, in the original manuscripts, in the Hebrew manuscripts in which the, the, the uh, Old Testament Hebrew manuscript was written, uh, there are two letters that came after the word God in the original manuscript. There were two Hebrew letters, Aleph, which is the beginning of the Hebrew language, the first uh, one, uh, letter of the Hebrew language, and Tav, which is the last letter of the Hebrew language. And what's that say? Is it, tell us, it tells us this, that in the beginning, God, who was before all things and who is after all things, that before Him there was not, after Him there is not, that He's the orchestrator of all things, everything is wrapped up in Him which gives us the confidence to know that whatever takes place in the middle between the start and the end, the beginning and the finish, that He has it in mind and He has it in hand. And so whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, whatever situation comes against us, we know that in the beginning there was a God who was before everything. The Revelation tells us He is Alpha and He is Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And so we can trust our present, we can trust our past, we can trust our future with a God who exists before and will bring all things to its final state. I'm trying not to shout that much this morning. I lost my voice in the nine o'clock service. Um, when uh, last time I preached, I said to my wife, how do you think it went? And she said, maybe don't shout at people as much next time. Like it's, it's nine o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. Don't shout as much. I'm trying. I'm trying my best not to shout. But he's the God. 
He's the God who's before all. He is eternal. He is transcendent. He is Elohim. He is all-powerful. And what we know about this all-powerful God as he begins to take his pen and sketch this world out by his word and create something of beauty, we know that everything he creates speaks of his nature and his wonder and his power. That we look around at the world around us and we see his beauty. If you don't believe me, look at the person next to you this morning and say, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. Now, some of you just lied in church. So don't worry. Don't worry. We'll have chance at the end to repent. We'll come to the altar. We'll make it all right. But Psalm, uh, Psalm 19 tells us this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. That all things that God created speak of his greatness and his glory. And in the middle of all he created, he placed you and me. That as he created an environment conducive to life for humanity, the pinnacle of his creation was human beings. And it tells us, it tells us that he created us in his own image. Which means this, which means we are a mirror to God. That there's something wrapped up in you and me that represent His image like no other. That would change your day, wouldn't it? If you were to get up in the morning and you were to walk into the bathroom and you were to, with your hair all over the place and your teeth not brushed, to look yourself in the mirror and say, you are a mirror to, the, to Elohim, the creator of all things, that He locked up His image in you and me. And there are certain things that this... Elohim, this God, this creator, begins to teach us through the creation story. And I'm going to walk us through a couple this morning, three of them. And as image bearers of him, they are properties he possesses, but they are also characteristics we can embody as well. The first thing that we learn is this, that he is a God of intention. He's a God of intention. He's not a disorderly God. He's not a chaotic God. In fact, the, the Scripture tells us that we read that he, he entered into the chaos, that there was, a, there was darkness and formlessness and a void and emptiness, and it tells us that the Spirit of God, there he hovered. You know what, what's, what's the reality of, of Scripture in our lives? God is attracted to emptiness, darkness, and chaos. And so if you feel like your life is, is, is empty, chaotic, or broken, the Spirit of God might just be hovering, ready to do a work. And where the Spirit of God hovers and then God begins to speak, things are created. Things could be birthed in you and me by His Spirit and His Word as He hovers over our lives and is attracted to our brokenness. It says this, uh, according to Hugh Ross's book on the fingerprint of God, which I love the title of that book, don't you? The fingerprint of God. He talks about how God's fingerprint is all over his creation. That if you, if you were going to conduct a CSI crime scene investigation over creation, you would find God's fingerprints all over it. And he tells us this. He says the universe has just the right gravitational force. Any larger wouldn't work. Any smaller wouldn't work. The universe has just the right speed of light. Any larger wouldn't work. Any smaller wouldn't work. 
The universe has just the right average distance between the stars. Any larger, any smaller wouldn't work. And the universe has just the right polarity of water molecule. If it was greater, wouldn't work. If it was smaller, wouldn't work. What do we learn about the God who he births all things? That he has intention. That it is not accidental, it's intentional. That there's an intelligent designer behind the whole thing who pieces things together. That's what the scriptures teach us. That in the beginning, God was all by himself. And in the beginning, he was before all and after all. And he's still his. He's the God who was. He's the God who is. And he's the God who will be. And he's mapped it all out. And he's been intentional about how he's structured formed his creation and he had intention when he formed you and me the bible tells us that while we were still in the womb christ formed us that he shaped you uniquely there is nobody like you he had intention behind your life and i don't know whether you feel like uh, the story that you've been told or the experiences that you've had tell you that you were an accident and you weren't wanted, that you were never intended to be. Well, God would say that is not true, that he had you in his mind before you were birthed into this world. And he's been working in your life from that day up until now. And he'll continue working in your life until you last. And he's, he's got, he's preparing an eternal kingdom for you and for me and for those who belong to him. That's the God that we serve. He's a God of intention. See, everybody's looking for a cause in life. You don't have to go far. You flick on social media. You can see that people are consumed with all kinds of causes. Some good, some bad, some ugly. The truth is this, the greatest cause is the cause of Christ. And the intention that God has for your life is that you would match up and line up with what His intention is. And that you would get aligned with His kingdom being outworked in this world. And that your days would not be sporadic and accidental and chaotic and not planned and not ordered, but that God could give you intention, that meaning to your days, that He could unravel His purpose in your life, and that you could find fulfillment in the place that God has put you. See, here's the reality. that Most of the time, we feel like we're where we are by accident. What if God had orchestrated in such a way that you would be right where you are? I've been reading the, the, the Old Testament story of King Saul. King Saul is the first king of Israel. And Israel are crying out to a king, and it tells us that Saul has no idea that he's going to be king. In fact, one day, this is how crazy the story is. One day, his father loses some donkeys and sends Saul out to find the donkeys. As Saul's out looking for the donkeys, he stumbles upon a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel says, hey, Saul, you might think you're out looking for donkeys, but God's out looking for you. And he goes from a place of feeling like he's just out. I don't know whether you've ever felt like that in life. Like I'm just going through the motions, just looking for the donkeys. Another day, another donkey. <laughs> another day, another donkey. Just trying to find my way. Just trying to do what I've been asked to do. Just trying to do my best as a parent. 
just trying to, to, to model Christ the best I can, just trying to go through the motions. And then all of a sudden, you get to a place and a position that God intended you to be at so He could unleash the word that He needed you to hear at just the right time, in just the right way, and that God could see something in us that we don't see in ourselves. And God begins to, through Samuel, call out Saul and say, Saul, there's something else on your life. And what does Saul say? He says what most of us say, not me. You got the wrong person. There's plenty of other people in Israel who would be far more suitable for this position, not me. In fact, as the story unfolds, we find out when Saul's about to be anointed before all of Israel, they're looking around and they can't find Saul. And they're scratching their head and they say, We're sure he's here. Where is he? And they find him hiding amongst the bags. He's hiding amongst the baggage instead of stepping into what God's called him to be. And here's what the people do. They go and get Saul from the bags and they bring him before the whole assembly and they anoint him as king. Because God cares so much about you and me that he'll even pursue us in our baggage. The stuff that's holding us back and we're hiding in. I didn't have the right education. I didn't have the right opportunities. I didn't come from the right context. And he'll come to where you are and he'll find you and he'll place you where he needs you and he'll anoint you to do what he wants you to do because God has an intention for your life and you can try and run from it all you want and you might be looking for donkeys, but guess what? God is looking for you and he's got an intention for you. And so I don't know whether life has just rubbed off the edges and you've lost any sort of anticipation and expectation that God could do anything in you and through you. And I want to tell you today, you're wrong. God's not finished. God's not done. He's got an intention for you. And if you'll just put one foot in front of the other, and if you'll keep your eyes on Him at the right time, in the right place, in the right way, He will unlock your future. And you'll say, how did I get here from looking for donkeys to now thriving in my destiny just because I had my eyes on you? So he's a God of intention and he has an intention for you. The second thing is this. I think the creation story shows us about the almighty, powerful Elohim is he is a God of innovation. He's a God of innovation. I love that about God, don't you? That He is just so creative. When you think about the different ways, the different things that He created, you can't help but just marvel at His innovation. Just crazy. The things that He could imagine before He spoke into existence. The things that even before were visible to the eye existed in the mind of God and then became, came into the Word of God and found its form. It's just amazing. In fact, the, the Hebrew word in the passage for created is bara, which literally means this, to form something out of nothing. God is the only one who can take nothing and create something. Don't know whether you've ever tried to tell God and anyone who'd listen that you have nothing to offer. Well, guess what? That doesn't rule you out because God can take your nothing and He can do something.
God can take what you're, you're using as an excuse and actually use it as the very thing that expresses His glory. So out of nothing, the Spirit moves and God speaks. And things are created. We are created. And as He moves through the seven, day of, seven days of creation, I think it not only shows us what He did, but it also shows us how He works right now. It tells us on day one, He created light and darkness, separated light and darkness. Light came. It tells us on day two, He separated sky and sea. He's, there was clear separation between the two. It tells us on day three that He created land and vegetation. That He created the, the environment for growth to take place. It tells us on day four that He created the sun and moon, and He gave wisdom and order to our days. It tells us on day five that He creates the sky and the creatures of the sea, and He fills His creation with abundance. It tells us on day six, He creates the creatures of land and mankind. He recreates Himself in a way as we are made in God's image, and on the seventh day He rests. That's not just how God worked. That's how God works. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Colossians tells us that before Christ, you and me belong to the kingdom of darkness. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of light. Day one for you and me is when the light shines in and the darkness is exposed. And then He doesn't leave us there. He moves us to day two where there's a separation. Because while we were dead in our sin, we were slaves to this world. And now He's separated us from our past. And He's given us a clear way into the future. That's how He works. That's day two. Next, He's got growth. Because He doesn't just leave you how He found you. But He wants to, you to be modeled and changed by inside out into the image of Christ. Because He's got growth for you. But growth's not where He stops. He wants you to experience abundance in your life. Christ said this. He said, I've, not, I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness. That's an abundant life. That's not a just getting by life. And I'm not talking about material possessions and monetary terms. I'm talking about an abundance of peace, an abundance of joy, an abundance of faith that he can do it in such a powerful way. But he doesn't finish there because he's got another day and he's got more work to do in your life. And we are being conformed and transformed into him, his image. We're being recreated. And in the end, he will recreate all things and all things will be made new. And day seven is where he rests. But when you know him, you get to enter his rest, both on, on the earth right now and in the future. He's a God of innovation, that he does it in this natural world and he does it with you and me. That He's still innovating. He's still at work in your life. He's still helping you discover some things. And not only is He innovative, but He gives you the gift of innovation. That you might, you might feel like I did when I wrote that poem at 10 and 11. Like, I don't, I'm not creative. Let me tell you, you are. You are creative. If you can begin to imagine it, and you can begin to articulate it, and you can begin to action it, then you can create a future that you didn't think was possible if you'll innovate. Let me tell you this. When you were born, you were born a creative genius. I was, I was born in the north of England. don't know if you can tell by the accent. I, I was born in the north of England. I was mastering the English language at age two. Now I've had to unlearn it and learn American English since coming, since coming to America. 
But at age two, I was learning, I was mastering the English language. And the truth is this, at two years old, you could have, you could have picked me up and you could have placed me in any country on any continent with any language. And I would have picked up that language like that. There are some of you, you were brought up in households that, spout, that, that uh, spoke multiple languages. You speak three, four, five different languages. Because you were created as an innovative, creative genius. And somewhere along the line, we lose our ability to innovate and think creatively. And we just go with the pattern that we've been given or the pattern that we've, been, uh, we've seen. But what if the breath of God was wanting to breathe afresh and the Spirit was hovering to breathe on your life so that you could innovate in a new way? That your life would not just be the sum total of where you are and what you've been through and what you have, but you could be creative in terms of thinking about God. What do you have for me in the future? And how can I innovate in creative ways to extend your kingdom right here, right now on this earth? You are innovative. And so I'm praying that God, by His Spirit, would begin to spark thoughts in your life as you begin to think about the challenges and the obstacles and the problems that are before you. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give you creative ideas, how you could turn those obstacles into opportunities, and how you could see the kingdom of God glorified in what you have and what you do. So here's the question. What will you create? What kind of life will you create? What kind of family will you create? What kind of culture in your household will you create? You don't just have what you have. You have what you've created. And if you don't like what you have, create something different. Begin to speak a different language in your home. Begin to pray different prayers. Begin to, begin to step into your workplace and say, no, I'm going to see this through a creative lens today. What opportunities are you going to give me, God? And what advantages are you going to give me in this place? Because you're innovating something in me. And you've called me to be innovative. So what do you want to create? And the last thing is this. And the creation story shows us. He's not just a God of intention. He's not just a God of innovation. But he's a God of intimacy. He's a God of intimacy. That he doesn't just create a space in this world for us to dwell. A realm in which we can live. But his intention is that we would know him. Is that we would have intimacy with him. Is that we would commune with him. Is that we would walk with him. That he doesn't want us just meandering through life without him by our side. He doesn't even want us just to know about him and of him. But he wants us to know him. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You should pursue knowledge. You should want to learn all you can about him. But if that's all you do, and you don't build an intimate relationship with him, where you can commune with him, where you turn your ear towards him and you say, God, not my will, but yours. What do you have to speak in this situation? 
if you don't bow your knee and if you don't get before him and say, God, what do you have for my life? What do you want to whisper in that nobody else can hear as you illuminate your word, as I read it and by your spirit, as you unpack it, God, what do you have for me? Because he wants not just your mind, he wants your heart and he wants your life and he wants your everything. He's a God of intimacy, a God of intimacy. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't know whether this is true. Well, let me prove it to you from Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to God as Elohim, supreme being, mighty God. In Genesis chapter 2, when he creates humanity, he's then given a compound name. So he's not just referred to then in relation to humanity as Elohim, the supreme one. But he's referred to as Yahweh Elohim. In, your, in, your English, in the English scriptures, when you open up the Bible, you'll see it in Genesis chapter 1. It's just God. God, in the beginning, God created. When it, in relation to humanity, it'll say, the Lord God said. Because Yahweh relates to his covenant, which implies relationship. And he's not just a supreme being who has the power to form all things out of nothing. He's a supreme being who now wants to come close to you and me. And he wants you to know him as your Lord, your Yahweh, Elohim. Not just as, wow, look at what God did. But hey, I want to know you intimately. In fact, if you go one step further, chapter 1 is just Elohim. Chapter 2 is Yahweh, Elohim. When Satan comes on the scene, in Genesis chapter 3, and the fall of mankind takes place. Here's what Satan does. He goes to Eve, and he refers to God, not as Yahweh Elohim, just Elohim. Now, Adam and Eve already know him as Yahweh Elohim. But when Satan refers to God, to Adam and Eve, he says, no, did God really say that you couldn't eat from the tree? What's taking place? is that Satan is getting humanity's eyes off the covenant relationship that is rightfully theirs and just focusing on him as an entity or a being that is separate from personal experience and relationship. And it's, it, was Satan's, it was Satan's trap then, and it's Satan's trap now. He'll try and get you as religious as can be. If he can get you away from your relationship, he, he'll, he'll be happy for you to know your, your soteriology and ecclesiology and your missiology and, your, and every kind of ology you want. He'll be happy for you to know that. He'll be happy for you to, to, to believe that, that God is real. But the moment you start stepping into covenant relationship and you say, He's not just Elohim, He's my Elohim. He, he's not just creator of all things, He's my creator. He's not just Lord. He's my Lord. He's not just someone's friend. He's my friend. He's not just someone's Savior. He's my Savior. That changes everything. Everything is changed. Because now it's not just an argument to be had and proofs to be made. But there's personal experience and encounter which is a part of your journey. I've been in lots of different debates over the years. I've been into schools teaching about creation and, and all the challenges to it and all kinds of different stuff. And you can debate, and, and debate is good. It's reason's good. I'm not saying it's not. But I tell you what I always like to share when I'm debating with someone about, did, is God really real and does he exist? And was it a literal seven-day creation? I, I, I want to talk to you about what Jesus did in my life. 
I want to talk to you about the day that I met Jesus. I want to talk to you about how I grew up in a Christian home. And we went to church week in, week out. But I still didn't know him myself. I want to talk to you about the prayers that my mom prayed. And I'm thankful for them. And the scriptures that she read over me. And the stories that I knew. And all of that was great. And all of that was good. But when I was 17 and I went to a church. And my life was in a mess. And God came, came and spoke to me that day. Literally it was as if the preacher was pointing at me. And speaking to me that day. And I felt him and I knew him. Things changed. Then I, wasn't just, I couldn't just recount stories of how he worked. I could tell you how he works. I can't just tell you how he did it. I can tell you what he did. How he broke addiction in my life. And how, how he set me on, on solid ground. And how he took me from wanting to not exist to then having purpose. And you can debate all you want. But I'll tell you this is what he did. And I wouldn't be here without him. And he wants the same for you. And so I don't know if, if this strikes a chord with you today. But you can have been around the things of God all your life. All your life. You can quote scripture with the best of them. But if I got up close to your life, would I see Jesus in you? Would I see you forgiving those who wronged you? Would I see you loving your enemy? Would I see you returning evil for good? Would I see you holding your tongue? Would I see Jesus at work in your life? Because you can have a head full of knowledge and a heart full of hate. And what God by His Spirit wants to do is transform your heart. That you would be different. And that you would hear Him. For yourself, not through someone else on YouTube, but through for yourself, that you would open up the scriptures and you'd hear him speak to you, and he would say to you, I have an intention for your life, that I'm innovative by nature, and I created you to innovate. And would you hear him say, I want your life and your heart. I want your love and I want your affection. And would you find out for yourself what it is to grow in that relationship and in that love. That it is not just a religious system that is passed on from generation to generation. But it is a living, breathing relationship that transforms the human heart. That you could become something other than what you by nature are. By the Spirit of God, let him do it. Let him do it. So let me ask you this morning, do you know God as mighty one and creator? Or do you know him as a father who wants to walk with you? A father who wants to walk with you. David writes in Psalm 109, he says this, as the band come, we get ready to finish. He says this, he says, help me. O Yahweh, my Elohim, save me because of your mercy. Help me, O Lord, my God, my God. Not just the God my parents knew, 
not just the God I've read about, theorized about, talked about, but help me, my God. That's a different kind of prayer. That's a different kind of prayer. I wonder for some of you, if you're going to pray that prayer for the first time today. Not just Elohim, but my Yahweh Elohim. He's mine. He's mine. And he can be yours. You stand to your feet. I'm going to finish in just a second. I just want to get you, just, just embrace a posture that you're comfortable with. You want to close your eyes. You want to put your hands out. You're going to bow your heads. Just do that. Let's have a moment of response. We're just going to pray this through. So if you're in here today and you feel like you're far from God, maybe you've never started a relationship with Him. Or maybe you've made commitments in the past, but your life in faith has just got stale. Just, just feels like mechanics going through the motions. And you want God to breathe on that relationship again. Energy, enthusiasm, passion for the things of God. So either for the first time or you want to come back to Him, then just in this moment you say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just wherever you are across this room, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Put my life in your hands. For those of you in here, and you say, yeah, I've lost all sense of direction. And I'm not really sure God has a plan for my life. I want you to know today God wants to speak into you and He wants to say, I am a God of intention and I know what I'm doing. And I've been positioning you to move when you least expect it. And so if that's you, you just give, give Him your life again this morning. Jesus, I give you my life. Show your intention. Avail your plan, your purpose for me. You're in here and you don't know where to go or what to do. Well, he's an innovative God. Lord, I pray that today ideas would be born. Futures would be mapped out. God, we believe you can do it by your spirit. We believe right now that, God, if there's people in place in a family situation, don't know what to do, a business situation, don't know what to do, we believe that, God, you can give a thought and idea. And you help us innovate. Help us find a way forward. God, I pray you do it right now. I pray you do it right now. I pray you'd help us create the kind of world and future that you always had in mind for us, your church, as your kingdom is extended. And God, most of all, I pray for everyone in here today. I pray for a, a fresh closeness with you. That God, you are the God of intimacy. That you want to walk with us. You want to walk life out with us. Not apart from us, but with us. That Jesus, you came into this world to show us a model. That God, you are not distant and you are not far off, but you, God, you want to be up close and you want to be personal. You left where you were to come where we are. Your scriptures declare that as we draw near to you, God, you draw near to us. I pray for a fresh drawing near today. A fresh drawing near for my brothers and sisters. I pray you do it. 
Thank you what your word says. John chapter 1 says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That Jesus, you existed at the beginning, and then you entered our world, and you're still entering our world right now. I pray that today would be a world entry moment for some people in here. That you would enter their world and get up close and personal. And that God, you would begin to unravel our inner workings as we put our faith in you. As we pursue you, we pray, God, let your work be done. Let your kingdom come in our life. As we speak your name, we ask in Jesus' name.